All right, welcome back to the Cracks in Postmodernity. Today we have Stephen Arena, aka Really Tan Man, as he's known on Twitter, who's the founder of Ancient Crunch, which produces masa tortilla chips, which uh, sponsored our Cracks in Postmodernity zine party launch a couple of weeks ago. But Stephen, thanks so much for having uh, for coming on here. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, of course, we want to know what's the backstory of Ancient Crunch. How did you come up with this idea? How did you launch yeah. the company? All that good stuff. Yeah, so the the overall idea is to just gut America's standard junk food pantry of delicious, crunchy things that are terrible for you and replace them with delicious, crunchy things that are good for you. Um, that's the overall goal. And the this isn't some sort of like health food play where it's like, oh, the healthy version of blah, 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 because the healthy version of blah, blah, blah always like tastes like cardboard or kale or chia yes. seeds or something. Exactly. And like, it's not fun. It's not cool. And no one wants that. Um, the fun fact, though, about food uh and, and more or less health in general but, but the fun fact here is that when you make things the right way like not only do they taste how they should they also are healthy for you and this is the sort of you know mind exploding revolutionary idea that's just like the most obvious thing ever uh if you actually thought about it from first principles but it's like really the whole revolutionary thing uh as far as americans and like health are concerned like people think that health food has to taste bad and that uh, good tasting food must be bad for you, right? Talk to anyone. They're like, oh, this is so good. Like, how could this be? How could this be healthy for me? Like, it's just like a cultural concept we have because we're so detached from our food and our food is like so synthetic and so fake that people forget like the purpose of it. And they forget that like every animal in nature walking around uses its taste buds as a guidepost for what's healthy, right? How is that? How, how can a lion, you know, gazelles are tasty. How does the lion get that to work? But if we go and like eat tasty food, we're going to like poison ourselves. How does that happen? Um, and the reason is because our taste buds evolved, you know, to respond to an environment where things were, where food is natural. It naturally occurred over thousands of years. Our taste buds could calibrate to figure out, okay, that tastes good. And that's good for me. Um, the problem is that when things are unnatural, uh, it hijacks the whole system. They're not set up to take like, inputs that are foreign to the system and so you get all these like weird signals like all this weird noise basically in the in the taste bud system and that's why things like doritos taste good even though they're not good for you so yeah our whole goal is to fix that by making the same broad recipes that everyone loves and that are like highly traditional and delicious um but just using only the natural ingredients so that they don't they, they're not actually bad for you that's the idea so let's get into the seed oil stuff because that's one of the big like selling yeah. so the tortilla chips like for people who don't know, for the for the unenlightened, like what sure. are seed oils and what's the big problem with them? Yeah. So seed oils are also known as vegetable oils or cooking oil, are hyper-processed, basically synthetic oils that were invented around 100 years ago and have become, they have gone from 0% of calories in like 1900 to over 20% of American calories, like of all calories, not calories from fat, like all calories. Um, it's it's like that. It's like the hidden thing that's in everywhere. And part of this is like seed oils don't really taste like much. Yeah. Um, that was actually one of their selling points in the 1950s. Like, hey, it doesn't taste like you don't taste it. Uh, unlike butter or, or tallow, which do have a, a flavor that's delicious, but it is noticeable. Um, so you don't really notice them. They're like, they're not even considered to be food almost. Like, for example, there are these farm to table restaurants um, all over the place that are like, oh, all our meat is like locally sourced and our produce is seasonal. And it's like from the farm and blah, blah. And then if you ask them, they put like, if they have anything fried, it's like they have canola oil in the fryer. And it's like, dude, is like freaking canola oil from your farm? Like, of course not. Um, but it's like, it's this entire domain of cuisine that chefs and 
customers and whatever, they don't even like think of it as like part of the food thing. It's just like underlying. It's like hidden. It's just everywhere. Um, and so they're a problem because they're everywhere. And well, that's not necessarily a problem itself, but the fact that they're very bad for you is why this is a problem. Um, and it's funny that like none of the diet trends or health trends of the past, however many years, ever take them into account. Vegans, like you can eat seed oils. Uh, keto, you can eat seed oils. Gluten-free, you can eat seed oils. Um, any, you know, Whole30, like paleo, mm -hmm. whole like seed oils are Whole30 approved. Like, come on. Um, so it's kind of like this thing that's that's behind the scenes operating in every single domain. And so they infect every place you end up going, right? If you're going to be healthy and you go to be vegan, hey, you have seed oils. If you're going to go be keto, hey, you got seed oils. Um, and that's like why they're sort of so insidious. Uh, as for what they do from a health perspective, uh, most notably, they make you fat because they mess with your body's hunger signaling system so that you eat like more calories of them compared to actual fats. Um, they decrease your me metabolic rate, which makes you even fatter because you burn fewer calories just by existing than you would if you didn't eat them. Um, and they're also highly inflammatory. So whatever tissues they end up in your body, they like cause inflammation in, and that's just like destructive. Um, so they're just not good for you. And I think the, the real punchline that's very, the most compelling thing for me about this is like, if you stop eating them, like the food that you eat is going to taste better. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like gluten-free where it's like, okay, people like bread is delicious like how could you you know, you know there's always whenever someone comes to you and they're like oh i have this diet like i don't eat gluten you like roll their you like roll your eyes to them, right because mm -hmm. like dude bread is good like what's wrong with you but like no one's out here defending the taste quality of seed oils like there's yeah. no world in which experientially you prefer them you might eat them out of convenience um and maybe you know if you don't eat them that often or whatever you're not as sensitive to it blah blah, blah like you're gonna be fine but there's no world in which you prefer to eat them and that's why I think it's just such a more compelling like approach to food than any of these other things that like, people have talked about in recent memory. Yeah. So then let's get into the chips. Um, so you're using beef tallow yeah. to, to fry them, I presume. Correct. That's so why correct. did you choose beef tallow? I mean, it's because it, it has a very particular flavor. I mean, it, it's, it took me off guard at first, but then it was, mm. it was delicious. And like at the yeah. launch party, everybody was like, you know, polishing them off. So like, yeah, how did you, yeah. when did you decide that? So I... After freshman year of college, I did a little study abroad thing in Belgium, uh, like some internship uh, over the summer. And in Belgium, they're very famous for the French fries. Mm -hmm. So like Belgian fries, that's where they invented Belgian fries. And like if you go out, the drunk food that's like available at like three in the morning yeah, is almost universally fries with like mayo. Um, in Canada, they have a, a similar sort of thing. They call it poutine, I think. Yeah. Uh, with, yeah. yeah. So fries are everywhere. And they're, they're so good. Um, and I forget how I learned this, but like while I was there, I just knew that I learned that they fried the fries and beef tallow. Mm -hmm. um, that was 10 years ago, just like a little fact in the back of my head. And yeah. then I learned at some point also that like tallow was used by McDonald's to fry their French fries up until the nineties. Oh, wow. I know that. Yeah. And so that's like McDonald's French fries are really good, right? They spread across the country in the 20th century. Like one of the contributing factors is like they're, they were famous for their fries. And the fries are delicious. Even today, they put like beef extract in the fries to sort of like. And what kind of oil are they frying them in now? Nowadays, it's like soybean oil or some garbage. Yeah. But they still put beef extract to like give it that flavor. So uh, those two pieces of information sort of are like the give it insight into the historical precedent for frying things in beef tallow. From a chemistry standpoint, beef tallow is high, like the most saturated fat that like is available to in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so saturated fat is very good to fry in. And like there's this huge culinary tradition and it tastes very good. Beef towel is also very nutrient dense. Um, so if you would compare it to something like coconut oil, coconut oil, like, yeah, it doesn't have any unsaturated fats. Like it's not a seed oil, but it also doesn't have any vitamins. Mm-hmm. Uh, like beef tallow has vitamin A and vitamin K and vitamin D and all this stuff because animals store their uh, reserves of nutrients oh. in their body fat. So when it came time to decide what fat to fry the chips in, um, it was like, it was, to me, it was just obvious. Like you, good frying happens with beef tallow. Like there's no, there's really no other option here. Um, like lard is, uh, well, it's hard to get high quality lard, uh, but it's also like less saturated. So it has a lower smoke point. Uh, like coconut oil tastes like coconuts and it's not nutrient dense. You can't fry stuff in olive oil. Avocado oil is all fake. Like 80% of the stuff you can buy on the shelves is like avocado oil that's like been laced with some other seed oils. Whether they tell you or not, it's it's been laced. So yeah, that really is tallow. And here we are. Yeah, so no, I mean, it's uh, the flavor. It's it's really, it's interesting. Like I said, it takes you off guard, but it's, um, no, it's it's awesome. And I, yeah, I think people aren't like used to it, but no, no. once you have like two or three of them, you're like, oh wait, how can I eat any other sort of chip? exactly <laughs> yeah no like that like it's a smoky beefy flavor that like yeah. it's it's kind of captivating it's definitely yeah. absolutely worth trying but no i want to like you know broaden the scope now talk a little bit more about about dieting and lifestyle um and i wanted to bring up i mean your twitter followers probably saw that you know you were spending a good amount of time in greece uh traveling oh yeah and you know that's where i trace my roots back i still have family in greece who i go to visit and whenever i'm there like i always notice how the the food culture is super different but more generally just like the daily life the lifestyle there especially on the islands is very different um because at least like where my family is it's a very small remote island where people live in mountain villages and the food you're eating it's ikaria so it's like oh nice i know this one okay yeah we were considering going there on our honeymoon but we ended up deciding against it because of like the extended like ferry trip that would have been required Oh, it's um, a long one. Yeah. So anyway, continue. Yeah. So no, and you got, yes, it's a blue zone. So like people yeah. there live until like they're a hundred or plus, but no, like, especially if you're living in the mountains, the only food you're eating is from the village. So like, mm-hmm. if you go to a restaurant, if you go to the supermarket, you're getting goat meat from the neighbor down the road who, who has goats. The cheese is all local. Even like the ice cream, they use goat milk from the neighbors to make it. And but the food is extremely delicious because it's so fresh because it's so local right um but also the fact that like you have a relationship with the people who are producing this food you know them you probably trust them and if they don't have a certain kind of food available then you're not going to eat it because like it takes forever to get the shipments into the island yeah Um, so like you see how there's this this lifestyle dimension to it there's this interpersonal connection but then the other side of it is like you know you have to walk a lot when you're in the villages. So there's this this integrated healthy lifestyle, not only with the food, but with exercise, with how you move your body. Um, so I don't know. I'm first of all, like before we go into some of your your thoughts about like dieting, exercise, and all that. Like I don't know. I'm curious some of the things that you picked up on while you were traveling. Like what did you notice yeah. about the food culture, the lifestyle there? Yeah. So okay. So where we went, we went to Athens for two days, and then we went to Sifnos, which is an island in the Cyclades. Uh, you can you probably say it better than I can. Um, Thanks, and that was very interesting because 
I was actually sort of like surprised at how much bad quality food was available. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, so Ikari is a bit more remote and a bit yes. less developed and it's less touristy and all the stuff. So I, I actually, I have some friends from college. Um, one of them was a, a Greek guy. I don't know if he was from Ikari, but he would always go there with my Romanian friends for mm. like summer. And they, he's like, oh, we'll just eat goat. I don't, I don't eat meat in America. I'll just eat like uh, I'll just eat goat when I'm home, but your meat sucks. And like you wouldn't eat, you refuse to eat like meat over here, um, which I respect very, you know, it sounds amazing. So I think there's a large variance. But one of the things that I realized after a bit was so I saw in the grocery store on the island, like the seed oil section, like the shelf with the seed oils was like a larger section than the shelf with the olive oil. Mm. And I was like, dude, what the hell? I'm in Greece. Like I want my money back. But what I realized is that the actual people who live there, they don't buy seed oils. They don't buy olive oil because their like their oil comes from like the olive trees in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's got olive trees who actually lives there, and so there's definitely this element. We also did, we also did this thing where like we made cheese with some woman who has goats and she makes like cheese every day, mm-hmm. and so she doesn't even sell her cheese. It's not available in the little tiny supermarket. This is like yeah. a small island. She just like sells it to her neighbors like under the table or whatever. So if you're a local there. Uh, I think you you sort of have access to this like food system that me as a tourist or like I as a tourist did not have uh, your cheese from your neighbor, your olive oil from your neighbor. I'm sure they buy eggs like everyone's got tomatoes, like there's figs growing just like on the side of the road. There's there's like lemon trees. There's there's just an abundance of stuff just like that's just there. Um, so that was that's not something like you can really find anywhere in the U.S., um, which is good. It's very encouraging. Obviously, I did not enjoy the fact that the seed oil section of the grocery store was larger. Um, but also islands that so we, we also went to this farm uh while we were there. It's this guy who's like very passionate about maintaining his like uh grandpa's farm and they they make like Sifnian cuisine, like from the island, whatever. And he was talking about how certain crops, like they used to produce, I don't know, forty thousand pounds a year on the island, and now they produce like five. Wow. Like they just make less of their own local food. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I don't know about enough about the economics and politics of like Greece to figure out like what's actually going on. I have like some guesses about what's going on, but um, but yeah, that was like disconcerting to hear. But I think they get a lot more tourists, and there's a lot fewer people that just like live there. Uh, so there's just a high degree of variance. Um, but yeah, that was that was interesting. Although the food that we did eat that was like from there was absolutely incredible. Like we went to this yeah. one restaurant, and the olive oil was like from the lady's backyard who owns the restaurant. That was the olive oil. Yeah. And it's like, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's super common there. But yeah, no, but I, I think like this all goes to show how there's such an integrated lifestyle surrounding food. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like the fact that even when you go to a restaurant, they don't have a notion of customer service like we do here. Like they're not rushing you in and out. They're also not being fake nice to you to try to appease you. Like yeah. it's, it's just super natural, you know, yes. like you like a person, they take their time. Nobody's rushing. Yeah. And obviously, like on a physical level, like that's better for digestion. Yeah, um, walking after meals, better exactly. for digestion. And yeah. the fact that there is this very clear social dimension to the way we they consume food. Like it's not, yeah. you know, eating on the run. Like you're supposed to take your time and enjoy the experience. Like Yeah, there's no like lunch at your desk in the no. skyscraper. In this no. like wall over you're getting crumbs on your keyboard. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of... It's more than just the food, certainly. Um, and so it's very easy for people in the US to like compartmentalize and be like, oh, I gotta optimize the food, gotta optimize this, gotta optimize that. 
mm-hmm. and it's like well people over there don't even think about any of this they just like live yeah like you know in in your i remember seeing some article or twitter thread or something about like this woman who was italian just like like basically like what the hell americans like you have to pencil in in your calendar your time for physical activity so you like drive to the place where you're going to do your physical yeah. activity yeah. and then you like have to drive to the place where you get your organic food and whatever. And then you go drive to your therapist where you're going to have social interaction and someone who care like pretends to care about you. And like, uh, I forget the theme was basically like they turn America has turned like all of natural existence into a suite of products and services for you to yeah. buy. Yeah. Uh, which is like very different. And even if you like biohack and, you know, plant like life hack your way and do this all right you're still missing out on the whole like integrated element of this where like your social interaction and your like emotional connection is while you're eating. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, your sustainability, like people care about sustainability and they're going to like go to their, do their donate to their nonprofits or do their whole protests or whatever. When like they're importing food from like halfway across the world and like giant boats and whatever plastic packaging. Meanwhile, no one over there even like knows about sustainability or is like going to say anything or cares but like they actually live in a way that's like sustainable, you know, it's like, they don't have to turn all of life into like an identity or like a service or product to like consume, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the fact that so much of what we consume is artificially produced, like it's deeply symbolic of like the artifice that we exalt in our culture, like the disintegration of the culture, you know, and like, it goes back to what you're saying about just the taste of food you know, because like growing up, yeah, like I ate a significant amount of junk food, but my mom at a certain point started working as a health educator and she does, she has a lot of stuff on nutrition and she decided like to cut out all artificial stuff, all like preservatives, high fructose. And once I kind of like got accustomed to eating natural things, I had no taste for, for like shitty quality food anymore, yeah. artificial yeah. stuff. Like not only did I not enjoy the taste it's also that like my body reacted so like now if i have something with artificial flavoring something with msg like i'll get sick mm-hmm. um and it's it, it goes back to this point though that like food should taste good like we shouldn't aspire to eat fake ingredients because it's, yeah. it's it's not made to be eaten and yeah. it's like where is this um like where is this aesthetic dimension of the eating experience again the, the social the spiritual experience behind it all um i don't know so i just like it's interesting to see though, like once you, once you get a taste for better quality stuff, like then you really start to see through. Yeah. You know, like well, I, I think so. Just, so there's yeah. this, uh, okay. You mentioned like the artifice of like American life, yeah. in general, which I think, yeah, this is really where the key is. Um, and this is why this stuff is like so interesting. It's not just like a diet trend or whatever. Yeah. Um, one way to think about this is that like artifice as mimicry uh, mm-hmm. or mockery even. So I remember I, I, I went to Vegas um i don't know five years ago i hated it uh it was like the worst place but i remember like walking around the venetian like the hotel with like the indoor like pretend canals and like their fake like italian font and like you know plaster drywall like fake marble carving columns or whatever it's just like like it's trying to mimic venice but in so doing it's like almost mocking the very thing that is like underlying it and so if you are someone who values the sort of like I don't know, maybe your 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 Renaissance European city or real food or natural food or whatever it is, the human experience as such, all this fake stuff is like not only deficient and like, you know, a distraction, it's like a literal mockery of the real thing. 
like Doritos nacho cheese. That's like a mockery of cheese. Exactly. It's no, like that's... making fun of cheese. That's exactly um, what I was going to say, though, because like when I was little, I could eat a whole bag because yeah. you know, it hits the bliss point, as they say. But now, yeah. like, I don't even want to touch them because it's like you can taste how nasty it is. I mean, real food also hits the bliss point. It's like but people yeah. don't even realize it because they never even yeah. captured it. It's like we're working on a spicy flavor right now, and it's got like a similar flavor profile to like your, you know, Dorito style thing. And it's like freaking delicious. And everything is like made with a spice that is like grown by some dude in like Vietnam or whatever. It's like the highest of the highest quality spices you can imagine. Um, and it's still, it tastes amazing. It's not like you need, like people, people thought that like you need all this artificial stuff to make food that's appealing, but like, no, they just, no one was making an alternative. So people just assumed that that was the only thing that you could put into food to get people to eat it. Um, but yeah. like the mockery or the, the mimicry is never as good as the real thing. And when people experience the real thing, they never want to go back. Um, it's sort of like, uh, it's kind of like the Matrix thing, right? Once you explore, like the Plato's cave, it's probably a better metaphor. Like once you leave the cave, you don't want to go back. Exactly. exactly. Um, so, so yeah, I think the it, this is actually goes back to the story of how I sort of started the chips, like in the first place. Um, my friend was like eating Tostitos or whatever, and was like making fun of him, and he's like, "Well, dude, it's just it tastes good. Like, what do you want from me? It's like junk food tastes good. Like, it is what it is." And I'm like, "Dude." Tostitos or whatever junk food, it's not bad for you because it has to be. It's not inherently bad for you. Like it just so happens that that example of it is bad for you, as are all the other extant examples of this style of food are bad for you. But like the form of that food, like the Plato, the Platonic form, whatever of that food, need not be bad for you. Everyone else is just like shitty at approximating the form. Yeah. No, and that's the thing that I like. I love sweets. Like I love junk food but like i want if i'm gonna eat a cookie or if i'm gonna eat cake like i want it to be made with really good quality ingredients because like yeah. if i'm gonna eat something high calorie or high in sugar it mm -hmm. should be the calories should be worth it like i don't want fake artificial shit you know and i think this is this is like where there's an interesting sort of cultural like change in regard to health um that's very cool which so it kind of goes back to what you said previously about like health being weird like no one wants to be at the party with your like health chips you get eye rolls, whatever. Oh, I'm on a diet. Like there's a sort of, uh, I guess th this is kind of like the contemporary version of like the sort of Puritan versus libertine thing, right? Yeah. The Puritans are like, oh, I have to count my calories. I can't eat that. It's enjoyable. I'm going to go in my ice plunge and do all these like things and like, you know, take my cold showers and wake up at 4 a.m. And then the libertine is like, no, I want to go out and like enjoy my life and then, you know, eat my cheap meals and whatever. Um, so there's this sort of like dichotomy which I think is is solved in the the classic, you know, maybe idealized, but is what it is like conception of like a European, particularly like the Mediterranean yeah. culture that like everyone That's thinks exactly about. What I was say, yeah. Like in the same way that the Puritans in America are like religiously are way more Puritan than the religious conservatives of Europe. And also the libertines of America are way more libertine than like the libertines of Europe. Europe is like culturally and maybe not today and you know stereotypes and whatever blah blah but yeah like they are the sort of middle ground here like you can have a nude beach in europe without like conservatives freaking out or people turning it into this yeah. like orgy right that's like something that can happen in europe yeah um, and it goes back to what you're saying though about the platonic forms because like the culture in the mediterranean maintains this um 
this unity between like the aesthetic and the like the ontological the metaphysical yeah. ideal so that's why for yeah. them religiosity is very much rooted in reality like it's not this puritanical or this extreme libertine like it's i don't know there's there's definitely that strong platonic dimension and that's why like when we hear about these fad diets today it's always disconnected from the mm -hmm. human experience like it's never yeah. part of like having an integrated lifestyle again with the aesthetic the social the spiritual dimension yeah. And that's why I don't know, like these fad diets don't last because they're yeah. so like fragile. The funny thing is like the Europeans, like despite America's obsession with health, the Europeans continually outperform us on life expectancy, like cancer rates and whatever. Like they're just healthier and they're not even trying. Um, yeah, and and what you said exactly, like connection between uh some if you're in I guess if you're like a scholastic philosopher, maybe you'd call it the substance and the essence mm -hmm. of a thing. So why does everyone like this whole European aesthetic anyway? why does olive garden have these like fake little terracotta or you know tile roofs like why does the venetian in las vegas exist like the way it does um america is all about the sort of substance of things like we're like the mimicry again like we're going to make it look like this thing that everyone knows and likes but they're not going to actually do the work required to get the thing that everyone knows and likes like you don't get um the beautiful buildings of europe without like some reason behind it you don't get to like make it out of like wood and plaster right it has to actually like spring from somewhere deeper and i think the same thing is true about health and beauty um americans are obsessed with beauty but also like the least healthy people imaginable and it's like it's just complete disregard for the reality of where beauty comes from like even if you don't want to get all metaphysical or spiritual about it like we evolved to detect beauty because it signifies like healthy offspring and a mate or whatever. And so, but the, the point is like, it's not the beauty that matters. It's the health that matters. And beauty is just how we can visually identify it. And so trying to induce beauty without seeking recourse to health is insane. And it makes sense that in such a culture that we have today, like American contemporary people like glorify ugliness because they're so the, the health is so far removed from them that they can't even like contemplate it that the only thing left for them to do is to, like value this sort of ugliness yeah and that's but it's the same thing what you're saying though about like the libertine and the puritanical extreme like you have people who are like body positivity all bodies are beautiful yeah. which is not true like not all bodies are beautiful but also then you have these like extreme health junkies or, or people who just get plastic surgery who are obsessed yeah. with their appearance and it's like okay but where is this like grounded rooted kind yeah, of they're starving of themselves they're taking a zempic they're throwing up i saw apparently some lady like had such violent like th like vomiting from ozempic that she like threw up her own teeth like her, her yeah. tooth fell out it's like that's beauty like that's not beauty that's disgusting yeah but it's also again like there's this broader cosmic sense of beauty that like i don't know if you're let's say you're not naturally like a super fit or skinny person like one it's possible to like even if you're larger, whatever, to live a healthy lifestyle and to, and to present yourself in a decent way. But also like that drive for beauty can be, um, I don't know, channeled in this artistic or spiritual dimension. And that's why, again, like within the Mediterranean, even if you're not necessarily a really hot person, mm. you can appreciate the beauty within the architecture, the art, the churches, whatever. Like there's this broader, like you're integrated into this broader sense of beauty and it's not all about like oh i have to look really good like no not everyone's gonna look amazing but like even if even if you do like you're gonna get old right yeah like you can be the hottest person ever and you know you're gonna get old one day and then you know on the surface level you won't look the same way so yeah by ignoring 
yeah, by ignoring that fundamental like root of this, we actually do disservice to the whole concept in general, right? So people will often say like, oh, hey, we, uh, it's not good to like only value looks because, you know, it's superficial and blah, blah, blah. But like, if you actually understand where it's coming from, you can look at like an old person, a woman or a man or whatever, you can look at them and like they have gray hair, they have wrinkles, but you can still like recognize the dignity in that yeah. person because exactly. like they have like a virtuous, they've lived like a virtuous and healthy life and they'll, they'll look like it, even though they aren't going to be on a runway. Yeah. Like, but that's like, gosh, this yeah. is what happens when you reduce beauty to hotness because like yeah. part of being beautiful is like having a personality, like walking a certain way, carrying yourself a certain way. And it's like the fact that we reduce it to hotness is a sign of how like unimaginative we are as a culture yeah like, because yeah, they're can, just not they're just not, not be... deep people they're not like thinking that far into things yeah like no. yeah go ahead. like where does it come from right and it, it and this this little this inability to see deeper shows itself up in just like our whole attitude attitude toward disease like cancer cut mm -hmm. it out you know oh okay like fever take a tylenol to lower the fever yeah. like no one's asking where did it come from mm -hmm. why is there cancer why is there a fever? Why is there whatever? And so you end up with the, system, the medical system itself that doesn't actually like fix anything because it's incapable of even asking the question that could get you to the, like that could even get you to the cause of the thing in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering, could you said a little bit about, um, I don't know, like how people drive to go to the gym to stay healthy. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah it's an oxymoron, but I don't know. I'm curious to hear like what other thoughts you have about like workout trends, exercising fads. Like what do you, what do you yeah. see in that kind of culture? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think the, so the, the workout style that I personally do, um, is very sort of hipster. Uh, it's been around for a while, but like no one really no one knows about it yet. But the idea is that like our bodies design our evolved design, whatever you want for a certain set of functions. Um, namely the things that make us human structurally are kind of standing on two feet, walking on two feet and running and throwing. Like you read the Iliad, which people love reading these days, which is cool. Um, like people are always like the primary weapons are not like swords. It's like throwing spears and even throwing rocks and like crushing people's heads. It's like, oh, he threw the rock and it was like, well, whatever. Um, throwing is what sets us apart. And it's like, there's a little metaphysical meaning in there too, which is like humans are basically the only animal that can project force at a distance from themselves. Uh, no other animal can really do that. Like a snake can be over here and then bite you over there, but the snake has to move from here to there in order to do the biting. Yeah. Whereas I can throw a rocket at someone's head outside the fields of Troy and kill them without having to go close to them. And moreover, I can shoot them with a gun. And then nowadays we have intercontinental ballistic missiles and like we can project force at a distance, which is cool anyway but the point is biomechanically those are the sort of things we can do stand walk run and throw um and all of those things are like pretty complicated movements that require the entire body operating at once uh that most modern workout methods do not account for so people who work out a lot especially like things like crossfit very intense like there's i remember well i used to do crossfit and i like went to go see my chiropractor and i was like i told him i was like doing crossfit and he was like oh yeah not surprised like crossfit's like you know half my patients are do doing crossfit it's like it's good for business and i was like he's always treating people for these injuries and stuff um and i think that's also reflective of like people not moving in a way that they were evolved to do so for example throwing requires the twisting of the entire body your feet are staggered your arm starts back here and then you, th you throw and then your arms all the way over there it's like very asymmetrical in like a front to back or left to right sort of sense 
But if you think about the workouts that most people do, it's very symmetrical up, down, lower back, left, right, you know, bench press, deadlift, squat. Um, that type of stuff is all very symmetrical. And it like, it, it ignores the very, the fact that like our entire body is like rotational walking, throwing all these things rotational. Um, so anyway, I think, uh, people are, people don't really know that much about like people, people are pretty solid on food. Like we know how to eat more or less. Yeah. Obviously people like not everyone knows this, but it's generally accepted that like, yeah, natural foods eat like your ancestors, no pesticides, no artificial, whatever's blah, 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 blah. And if you don't do it, maybe it's because it's inconvenient or expensive, but at least like you, you probably know that that's right. But as far as exercising is concerned, people don't really know about like how their body is evolved and designed to move. And they're not really working out with respect to that. And so you get a lot of injuries from people who are really intense, uh, who are really intense workout or exercisers. Um, and that's uh, it's a shame, but it's yeah. what it is. Yeah. And um, I'm also interested to hear your thoughts about intermittent fasting. Do you think there's any merit behind that kind of yeah. practice? I mean, yeah. So in the short term, I mean, people do this thing where they're like, oh, I, I changed the way I ate or I changed whatever and I felt great. But like the starting phase of a thing need not be the same as the middle and end phase of a thing. Mm -hmm. But because they felt great during the starting phase of a thing, they never like sort of check back in on themselves to see if like that benefit is continuing. Um, and if anything, their like sort of sense of bias like develops around defending that thing because yeah. they did a thing and they're like, and they told their friends about it and like, I feel amazing and blah, blah, blah. And then it's hard for them to admit this is, this is the classic like vegan syndrome, yeah. um, like late stage veganism. It's like they go become vegan and their body's like, oh, this is cool. I'm not eating junk food anymore. I feel good. And then five years later, they, they've aged. And now they like look like they're 50. Yeah. Um, so intermittent fasting, I think, is like somewhat similar. Uh, over like sporadically over short periods of time, um, like, yeah, sure, it makes sense. It's like pretty consistent with how we evolved and this and that. However, uh, if you think about on a deeper level, what fasting means is telling your body that like, Hey, it's not like we don't have enough food available to us. Like the world is unsafe. And whether it's mm -hmm. a famine or a drought or our crops are burned down by some marauding Vikings or whatever it is, like the world is unsafe. And I don't know when I'm going to get my next meal. Um, so yeah, in the short term, it does do things like increase your like brain's acuity so you can go out and hunt more food. Sure. And then ideally in an evolutionary setting, you would go out and hunt and eat and then you'd be fine. But over the long term, it continually trains your body to think that like, Hey, we are always out of food. Like we are always starving. And so that means when you do get food, you end up accumulating more of it and storing more of it. Uh, because your body's like, Hey, I, I'm not going to burn all this right now. I, I don't know what I'm going to eat again next. I better save onto this. And so that's where you get the sort of people who, uh, and this is very common. You get the whole plateau thing. Like people do CrossFit, they'll intermittent fast, they'll do a keto. This is like those two, those kind of things all go hand in hand in the modern day and they'll feel good, whatever. And then a few months later, they'll start to plateau and they're plateauing because their body's like stopped burning energy. Cause it's mm -hmm. like so concerned about the future of your ability to provide for itself. And their metabolism just like gets sunk uh, and it's very hard to like recover from that. And it's in response to this, the whole Ray Pete bro thing has sort of like emerged in popularity. Um, yeah. Mm. What do you, what do you say about the vegan stuff? I mean, there's just, there's just no like historical anthropological precedent for like healthy humans having ever been vegan. Yeah. Like the only people 
that are vegan in history are like particularly basically like monastics of like certain religions, notably like Hinduism and Christianity. Um, but if you ask them like f at face value, like, Hey, why are you doing this? None of them are going to say it's for health. Yeah. Like that's not a goal that they have, which is fine. And they're allowed to have that goal and they know what they're doing and they're not trying to convince other people to do the same thing as them. Um, but like the vegan health argument is just, it's completely insane because yeah. uh, there's no healthy culture, group, people, ethnicity, whatever you want, tribe of people that have ever existed that are vegan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's interesting. You bring up the monastic example because like even for them with fasting, there's always some deeper logic behind it because I mean, sure, there's like the, the biological dimension of it that you mentioned, but I don't know. In in most religions, fasting is this um like this spiritual training to understand like there are periods of like sacrifice of asceticism and there are periods of feasting, which is I don't know, like this is how life is. We suffer and we yeah. have joy, you know, and it's you see how like there's this uh this very human, this larger cosmic dimension to fasting that makes it makes a lot of sense um but the reason i brought it up is like i tried it and i noticed that um like it made me think about my time living in europe because for them like okay breakfast is tiny you have coffee a cigarette of course and then you know a cookie or toast or something lunch is the big one like most people are able to like leave work in the middle of the day have a big lunch with their family take a nap do some more work and then something small for dinner fruit whatever and I noticed while like doing the fasting, it's, I don't know, it wasn't so much like the time window, but it was like limiting, um, limiting how much I was eating at each, at each meal. Cause like, I don't know. Well, having... I mean, this, the snacking thing, that is a big thing. So like, yeah. to be fair, when I talk about intermittent fasting, I'm like eating less than three meals a day in my view is intermittent fasting. But for a lot of people, it literally means just like, oh yeah, I should eat three meals a day and not snack. But Amer like for most Americans, that's like a foreign concept. So I never, I was never a big snacker, like as in, you know, eating between meals. So to be fair, like I, I don't really emphasize that very well. So yeah, three meals is great. Snacking, not so hot. Um, but the other thing that I, I, I forgot to mention about the fasting issue is, is that like the punchline is fasting is stressful. A lot of things are stressful. I'm yeah. not like a repeat, whatever, where I'm going to say you should not have any stress. Like that's like your life exists. However, um, you should be well apprised of all the sources of stress in your life when you know playing around with this kind of thing so if you are in you know eating a small breakfast and like doing what you just said in europe um first of all i mean you're still eating in the morning you know it's small so like that's good but also your job is not stressful your finances aren't stressful yeah. uh your social relationships aren't as stressful um the you're probably exposed to like a lot fewer just pollutants in general there's no fluoride in your water in europe um etc 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 so if you stack on all these things then you start to realize that like, you know, it's, it gets a little bit more complicated. So it now take the version of like you in America, you're on a subway, people are like screaming at you. There's like a hustle and bustle of a city. You're up in an elevator at an office building, like, like, like you're working 80 hours a week because you like live in New York and like life's intense and all the, like all, all this stuff, then your body's going to respond differently to that same way of like eating, for example. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And this goes back to what you're saying about in Greece. It's not just about the food. It's about the whole, the whole shebang, the whole kit and caboodle, right? Yeah, yeah. And there, I mean, this is like the bigger picture, picture question I want to ask, though, because sure, in Greece, it's fairly easy to live that kind of lifestyle. Like you don't have yeah. to pay a bunch of money to get good quality food because your neighbor's growing it in their backyard. 
But for those of us in the U.S., especially if you're in a city, um, you know, the options are more limited. Like if I don't have a lot of money and I have to spend a lot of my day working, it's much easier and cheaper to get fast food or to go to a supermarket that has shitty quality ingredients on, on sale. Yeah. And if I have a lot of money, then sure, I could go to Whole Foods and get organic stuff. But I don't know. Like, so what, what would you say about like the social uh, or the economic realities that we have to deal with in this country? Like for people who don't have as many resources, like, yeah. what can you actually do? Yeah, it's really, it's definitely tough. I, um, I have broken down a sort of budget about this on like on my Substack a while back. And I realized it's not actually that expensive, but with the caveat that you don't have kids, like when you start introducing kids, then, then the game changes a little bit. So for example, I'm pretty sure that I eat about six to seven hundred dollars worth of food a month, um, and I this is I, this is all food like in, like because I don't really go out to eat. So if you think about living in the city, one night at a restaurant is a tenth of that or more. <laughs> um, so that's like like if you were to cook everything you ate and like ate at home with homemade ingredients or whatever, um, you could you could it would be cheaper than how most imagining like. I'm not a girl, so I don't know how girls live in the city, but imagining how most dudes in the city like live, like going out to eat with their friends, dates, whatever. Um, it would be cheaper if you were to just like even buy high quality ingredients and cook it all yourself and eat it at home. Like that would be cheaper. However, then you're like, okay, I don't have the time because I have a job and blah, blah, blah. Honestly, I haven't, uh, you could crunch the numbers yourself, but I'm sure there's someone you could pay like 20 bucks an hour to come to your house and like cook you meals and stick them in the freezer once a week and like with, you know, pay them four hours, four hours a week. 80 bucks a week, 160 bucks a month. And then they meal prep for you. And that's like on top of the ingredient cost. I'm sure that would still be cheaper than if you were to go out to eat at New York city restaurants all the time. Um, but I mean, you want to go to restaurants and like, this is the whole thing. It's like, people have to decide for themselves, like where their priorities lie. Like for me, I care a lot about this. So I don't live in Manhattan. Um, I live in New Jersey, which is good. Cause I also like am close to the Moss factory and I'm close to my parents. And I'm also married, so I don't need to like be out running around like socializing in New York all the time. So like that's super good for me. And because I have the priorities I have, I like try to structure my life in a way that enabled me to go do all this stuff. Um, and as far as money is concerned, like, yeah, we my so my wife doesn't work. Uh, well, I mean, so she has like a small Instagram account and she like does that kind of thing. So a little bit of money, but she doesn't, she doesn't really work. Uh, but she has a lot of stuff at home, and so that allows us to like collectively live in a way that's like much better than either of us could have done on our own. Because if she were out on her own, she'd be struggling to make enough money to like buy her healthy food. Um, and she'd be stressed out all the time. And then she would have no time to cook it. And then if I lived alone, I might have enough money to buy all the healthy food, but then I'd be stressed out because I have to cook it. And then I'd be like alone and miserable and we'd have two sets of apartments. So it's like, it, it comes up this whole discussion of like how people live. You know, they're single with their own apartments, do you live with your parents, do you live with your wife, do you live with your girlfriend, do you live with your boyfriend? Like it brings into this whole discussion. And I actually think people could do a lot better uh, financially than than they think. However, they can't have their cake and eat it too. That's that's kind of the punchline. Like you can't, uh, if you're operating on a finite budget, if this question means something to you, and there's I'm sure some people that are unaffected by this question, but most people are. Um, if like the budget is the thing that matters to you, like you can't have everything. You can't have your healthy, good, delicious food and go out to eat at a restaurant. Because even if you do go out to eat at a restaurant, you have to eat at an expensive restaurant because shitty, like cheap restaurants have terrible food. Um, so this is where you know it all comes down to priorities. And there's a lot of tricks you can do. Like I can name a whole bunch of farms that will like 
have pretty decently priced, like, especially for the quality food that like will deliver to people in New York and you can get raw milk and all these things. You could, you know, try to mess around with personal chefs and private chefs and whatever. Um, and so there are like tricks you can do, but at the end of the day, it's like, it comes down to how you want to live your life. Um, and I want to live my life in the way that I do. So I do, um, yeah. and not everyone will. And so they don't As from like a business standpoint and like a cultural standpoint, my goal is to make it easier for people who are not as extreme as I am to like live their lives in a way that are health, like that's healthier. So instead of going to the bodega and you have like junk food, that's like gross, you have ancient crunch snacks that like won't poison you, you know, that kind of thing. That's my goal. Okay. Um, so one last question before we wrap up, um, tanning since yeah, you're known on Twitter for it. Um, you, what do you have to say about sunscreen? Very interested in this topic. I mean, dude, sunscreen is like poisonous. Like every sunscreen is toxic. Like it's also gross to put on your body and it smells disgusting. It kills the fish. Like it gets all over your clothes, the water, like go to a pool where people are wearing sunscreen. There's like this film of like disgusting carcinogenic grease on top. Like, ew, like you're gross. Like stop. Like seriously, if you want shade and I'm not saying you have to burn or like, you know, even tan for eight hours a day, if you go to the beach, like if you want shade, put on clothes, bring an umbrella, like sit under a palm tree, you know, uh, it's not that hard. Wear a hat. Like it's really not that difficult. Um, even if I didn't want to get as much sun exposure as I personally do, there's plenty of things that I could do to still not wear sunscreen and like not get exposed to sun. I would just wear, you know, head to toe white linen and like a big, you know, safari hat, uh, and just like hang out. Uh, but yeah, sunscreen is disgusting. Like, yeah. I'm happy I, I don't know what's worse. Else is saying this. Yeah. Cause I always, huh? I'm happy someone else is finally saying this. Cause I always like go on tirades against sunscreen. Cause yeah, it's, it's like, like you're, you're about food though. Like it's just, it's gross. Like it, why would you want a gross thing on yeah. your body? Brand you're new. a fat like gross seed oil swilling like diet coke drinking like obese american like that's what that's what you are if you're putting on sunscreen like that's what you appear like it's, it's just like it's not good it's not good no so yeah it all it all comes down to a very simple point like we just should put good things pleasant yeah. things in our body like it's it's not much more complicated than that yeah yeah so all right so Stephen, what uh what plugs do you have for our listeners what do you want to tell them about Sure. Uh, yeah, you can learn more in depth about all the stuff we just talked about if you subscribe my Substack, which is really tanman.substack.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at really tanman, and you can check out Masa Chips at Masa Chips M A S A C H I P S dot com. Awesome. Well, Stephen, thanks so much for coming on. Cool. Thanks, Stephen. Great to be here.